Hello, welcome back to the Feral House podcast. We are in spring of 2020, and we are going to be talking to authors and members of the Farrell family, folks who've worked with us in the past few years, folks who will be working with us in the future. They may write books, they may design books, they may talk about books, but we're going to be talking with everybody. Today, we're sitting with Michael Nurnberg. Uh, Michael is the author of the upcoming process imprint, uh, Earth AD. We're very excited about this book because it addresses something that is really important to Jessica um, and myself, which is the climate change and the legacy of corporate malfeasance and corporate pollution. Um, Michael, welcome, and tell us a little bit about the book. Thank you for having me. Um, the book is the book is called Earth AD, and it's about environmental disasters, and it profiles two of them. It profiles one. Uh, it profiles Newtown Creek, which is a body of water that separates Brooklyn from Queens in the middle of New York City, off of the East River, and it's four miles, and it is a site of legacy pollution. We're talking about. 150 years of dumping all sorts of chemicals, and it's the home of one of the biggest oil spills in the country. And it's it dumped something, a standard oil dumped something like 17 to 30 million gallons underneath Greenpoint, which is one of the most rapidly gentrifying neighborhoods in the country, possibly even in the world. Um, it's 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 a place of like where where where. Um, a working class Polish neighborhood that has become overrun by the corporate money moneyed class and the sort of young hipster class. And so then the other site is Tar Creek, Oklahoma, which which came to my attention during the research, which was a mining town that mined lead and zinc over the years. And they, they did oil too, but mostly lead and zinc. And it was on Native American land more or less. Uh, there's some percentage of it was Native American, and that's sort of been up for debate, uh, according to the people. But anyway, the, it's generations of lead poisoning, and lead is everywhere in this place. There's mountains of mining waste that literally look like a mountain range from the highway. And it's it's been, um, ge- it's been generations, like I said, of people being poisoned by by the infrastructure of their place people live and they die and their children have it it's just just awful until the town had to close so that's what the yeah that's the, the that's a long story it's about these two places and the the environmental disasters that ensued um we're very interested and in why we wanted to work with you on this book again because uh we're very interested in documenting and bringing to people's attention uh, these issues about the, not just climate change now, but the effects of runaway oligarchy, runaway corporate, um, just bad doing. I mean, we've got a long history of, of talking about big bad corporations. In your research, did you find any real bad actors? Yeah, but it's it's one of these things where there was a lot of innocent actors. Oftentimes, we, we think of we think of uh, environmental disasters, and we sort of point the finger at 
at the corporations who are responsible for it. But in these cases, it's very hard to pinpoint because on one side you have the lead and mining companies. And allegedly, according to my research, that they knew that this was bad and that it was going to fuck people up and everything. But what they – but they were mining all the lead to create the bullets and the weapons to win the Second World War. So there was this intention that the miners and everyone involved felt like they were doing the right thing because at the time we didn't know anything about lead poisoning. Um, there's some knowledge of lead poisoning, but it wasn't generally known. It was more like if it, people in the lead would – people in the mines would sort of have hallucinations and, and things like that. Now, at Newtown Creek, it's a little different because they knew that there were these fires that, that – they, they the Standard Oil had these refineries. And there were these massive fires. And after the fires, so they lost so much oil into the ground and eventually into the creek. And we still have active um, seepage sites from these historic, these historic um, lead refine. I mean, um, oil refineries. So I, I was just going to say that there there are bad actors, but there they seem fewer and farther between than they are today. Now today we know more about the environment. And we know, we know that that people are acting out of self-interest more so than naivety of the past. One of the things uh, about Earth AD, which I really thought was so good, it what really differentiated this book from other books about "quote unquote" environmentalism, is the fact that Mike, you inter- you interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people, everyone from folks affected by the poisonings, by the disasters, to high-level political figures, including uh, former Oklahoma Governor Keating. Um, tell me about your process of talking to folks, listening to their stories, as well as how that process might have changed your perspective. I see it kind of like um, like you move into a new apartment and you have all these boxes everywhere and you just got to start somewhere. I, I, I just kind of think of it like that, just unpacking, right? And you just So you start with websites and books and you just start researching and researching and then you move to talking to people and then you start making lists of people to talk to. And I thought everyone from like the crossing guards at school up to the governor, you know, like just just get as many of these stories as you can because you never know when you're going to find a good one. And like I went out to – I mean fortunately I live in New York, so I, I was able to do the Newtown Creek stuff locally. But uh, when I, I went out to Oklahoma to one of their conferences, that one of, the, one of the Tar Creek conferences, and that was really good. I didn't get a whole ton of interviews there, but I did meet a lot of people. I went out there with the uh, false sort of naive assumption that I would just interview everybody. But it was a lot harder to get people to talk to you when you're just coming from the outside. So you got to really work on being trustworthy. And this sort of comes out of the documentary work I did. I, I just think you just cast a wide net at the beginning and just get as many different angles on this thing as you can and then sort of create a Rashomon-type um, reality model out of it. And you mentioned that uh, from your experience in documentary film. And so this is – Earth AD is your first book. Your background really is in documentary filmmaking. Um, how do you think that affected or influenced how you went about putting the book together? Very much so. I, I treated it the same way, which was the same sort of research um, that, that you would do. You would try to try to 
I pretty much treat it like a documentary on paper in a way because that's what oral histories are, you know, because it's, it's just without the camera and without the bullshit of trying to secure studio money and, and all of the ways that you have to try to fund a movie because it's so big, you know. It's like there's, a, there's so many moving parts from the sound. And the, but with this, it was, it was like it, it was everything I loved about making movies without all that other bullshit. And I think it's 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 it, I approach it the exact same way through the research through like I was saying with the wide net, different amounts of people. And so, was there any um, any interview, any pe- person or people that really um, struck you and that made you shift your perspective at all? Uh, yeah, yeah. Both sides had them. I'd say for Tar Creek, Ed Kahili comes to mind. This was a guy who was a retired nuclear engineer who came, went back to Oklahoma to f- kind of get involved. And he joined President Keating, I mean, uh, Governor Keating's subcommittees when he had the task force to try to figure out what was going on, what to do about this, because there were decades of inactivity. And then little by little, people started figuring it out. They're like, we're being lead poisoned by our surroundings in this massive way. This inescapable reality was starting to emerge. And he came in and he had treated it like a nuclear engineer. And he he started from geology reports and he got into the weeds on all of the documents. And when I spoke to him and I kept hearing about him and I once I convinced him, he didn't want to talk to me at first because he thought I was going to go with this sort of simplistic, here's some Native American land, here's some white people came to take it from them. And he was incredibly nuanced, this story. And um, that's... He, he certainly comes to mind. And there is, there is and, and also over there, I'd say Earl Hadley and Rebecca Jim, who are Cherokee, member, Cherokee members, and they were activists at a time when no one wanted to say anything bad about the mining companies mm-hmm. because not, my, mining was their identity. Mining uh, put food on the table, and it was, it, it was all these people had. Mining wasn't coming back, and it was a harsh reality to face. And here come these environmentalist do-gooders coming to fuck all that up. Yeah. So it, it, there, I met a lot of people. So I'm sorry. Just a lot of people along the way is what I was going to say that that changed, that kept shifting. And that's part of the, the adventure you're on. I, yeah. And the way the book reads is very much an adventure in the sense of like a documentary film, you've got um, contrary voices um, talking about the same topic. And it really, I think, highlights, again, the nuance and that there is no black and white here. There isn't just, um, here's the bad guy, they did this. These stories are real and they're very nuanced. And I think that they, and again, part of the reason we wanted to publish this book is we feel that it has some relevance to today. Um, Climate change is real. We're not climate change deniers. We see it. We are believers in science. Um, And I think that being aware of both climate change and the current um, environmental disasters that we haven't dealt with can help us move forward in how we should move with, uh, deal with things, you know, tomorrow. How do you think, though, when we talk about just two of these legacy disaster sites, how many legacy disaster sites are there in the United States? Thousands. Thousands. And they're being discovered all the time. 
um, the, like what, what happened in Tar Creek was a situation where people didn't think there was a problem until the water turned orange in the 70s. And that was mining water coming out of the mines. I mean, we didn't even talk about the fact that this was a place that was sinking into the ground because all the, it was, had been undermined. So it was all empty caverns underneath this place. And these places are everywhere. I mean, some places turn into a tourist attraction. Like I learned about Leadville, Colorado, um, which this place is often compared to. That was a lead mining region. And they chased the EPA out. They were like, they were like, we're a, we're a lead mining community. And um, they had their own chat piles, which are just piles of mining waste. And they use it as a and, and people go and they gawk and visit and that's they they have tourist revenue from that which is it's, it's such a crazy thing there there, there is like environmental tourism crazy. is a thing like when people go to Chernobyl you know they, they go to just they, they go to gawk it's 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 strange disaster I, I didn't really porn. know this was disaster porn right I didn't um, know this was a thing. Now, is there is there any way to again based on your research is there any way to mine for lead safely or even drill for oil safely is there any way to do this? I don't know. I, that is is something I didn't really do a lot of research in, and I'm sort of talking out of pocket on that. But the, the I don't I my I suspect there isn't. I suspect that yes, the technology has gotten better, but I I don't know what I'm talking about. And, like, I don't know how they actually do it now. I know back then you went in there and oftentimes they didn't have masks. They didn't have really, they didn't even, I mean, people just died in the, in the, in the mines cause they, they would just cave in, sure. you know, and they, they would get trapped down there or here with the, with the oil mining fires were common. Safety came in later and safety came and oftentimes the safety was fought off because it meant unions were coming in. And that scares the shit out of the corporatists because yeah. that really cuts into the bottom line. I think one of the things that is happening right now, again, with the climate change, but with mining and oil, it's here in the Midwest and in the Great Plains where you see the protests in Canada about the oil pipelines. Here in the um, upper Midwest, where I, where I am, is there's new mines being proposed and built, um, one that is three miles from Lake Superior, another huge uh, copper mine that's being proposed in northern Minnesota about um, a couple miles just from the International Boundary Waters, one of the last great wild areas of the United States. And there are people actively um, protesting against these new mines. At the same time, people may not be aware, there's a great mining culture of, in the upper Midwest, I mean, you know, Bob Dylan's from Hibbing, Minnesota, of the Great Iron Ridge. Those are all mining people up there. Um, and a lot of the folks are behaving in the same way that folks in Tar Creek did, which is they're looking at it as a threat to their economic livelihood. Is there something that from your research that you can, you know, you would say to folks who um, are both op opposed to new mines or entrenched that they should be just mining everywhere well it's complicated it, and like like you were like in a way you were saying it, it's complicated because you don't want people to starve you don't want people's economic uh, prospects to fall apart i think what i would what i would tell people is try to get your local officials to bring in to make it attractive for sustainable companies to come in there's there's all kinds of things you could do now that you can bring in wind farms, you could bring in solar 
factories. You can bring in a solar panel. There's things you could do now. I think the 21st century is going to be about retooling places like Tara Creek and turning them into 21st century places. Um, But it is complicated because, you know, it's a hard thing to talk about because a lot of the people who voted for Trump thought that he was going to bring back coal mining. And the harsh reality is he's not. He's just he's he's not going to do that because coal mining is almost over. And that's the harsh reality of it. And you don't want to lose these people. You don't want these people to fall off and fall out of the of the um, of the economy and out of the culture. The Midwest has a lot to offer. And the, the Rust Belt, I think, is sort of a, it's, it's sort of a, a pejorative term. It makes it sound like these people. I mean, yes, the factories are rusting over, but I think it's created a lot of civil unrest because they have not been respected. It, and it, I think we got to change that. Yeah, as a, as a Midwesterner, yeah, we we feel that, but um, we also felt the kind of Reagan eighties uh, when those factories did shut down. So a lot of folks in the Midwest have this institutional memory of. Um, you know, and and this warped dialogue of that unions are bad and that it's always somebody else coming to take your job when it's actually just the corporation. But we're on a fun tangent because we're talking about a, a Michael's book, Earth AD, and again, it talks about the legacy of this untreated, undealt with contamination from industrial waste um, in both areas. One of the things that is very interesting, we were, kind of, we were talking a lot about Tar Creek and it's Native American, it's uh, a poorer area, but contrast that with Greenpoint in Brooklyn, which is be- quickly becoming one of the wealthiest areas of the country. Um, so talk a b- little bit, please, about what your thoughts are based on the research you did of that economic divide of how that affected the choices that people were making. The economic story, the economic contrast between the two places really forms the spine of this book. And that was something that interested me early on. At some point during the research, when I figured out what this was going to be about, why these two sites and not those two sites, I think because here we have a very sharp contrast of the different ways that you can look at Superfund sites or or legacy contamination sites, and one could be at a very wealthy place where the land is worth billions of dollars, and then you have another place where the land is worthless and the people had to be bought out by the federal bailed out by the federal government to be relocated because you couldn't live there; it was too toxic. Whereas here in, in, in New York, uh, real estate is real estate is is the market. It's it, it runs counter to the rest of the country. Um, even if the rest of the country, when we had the housing crisis in two thousand eight, New York real estate kept going up because there's very limited supply and there's a lot of demand. And so that became very interesting to me, like how people were able to rationalize building condos on top of pollution. I mean, here uh, off of Newtown Creek and Greenpoint, you had vapors coming out of people's basements because they were actual gas gas, um, vapors. And it's not just the oil spill. There's also several chemical spills that are being discovered all the time. Greenpoint was 
Greenpoint was industrial. It was not meant for residential, and residents just sort of popped up alongside the factories where people worked. There's the New Hearts. Greenpoint has two Superfund sites, which is staggering to think about when you think about the outrageous amount of wealth there. There's the New Heart Plastics Factory, which is an underground plume of like, of I think that one was, I could be getting it wrong. It might be TCE or PCE. It's um, it's uh, cancers agents. Oh, phthalates. I'm sorry. It's phthalates that is the uh, plume underneath New Heart, and that that's a cancerous agent that is used to make plastic soft. And they were just storing that shit in the basement, and eventually just leaked. You know, in these tanks, and uh, and they they're still discussing whether or not to build a school on top of it. And so the and so the 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 community is up in arms about it. And the act, but you have all these people moving into all the new condos um, that are coming up everywhere, and they don't know. They don't know any of this history. They they're not told it. You know, uh, someone I interviewed, one of the activists I interviewed, said that they don't tell you this on Street Easy. You know, and I thought that was really funny. And and getting at the problem, whereas Tar Creek, there's nothing there. I mean, you drive around there, it's just mountains of mining waste, like literal mountain ranges of mining waste, and there's nothing just yeah. bought out. And uh, now, one of the elements in the book is uh, Michael. You found some fantastic images, uh, both historic from the Library of Congress, as well as uh, people were happy to give you their personal photos. And it really makes uh, so these stories come alive. You can read um, about folks' experience about playing, and you hear Michael even right now talking about what a chat pile is or mountains of mining ways. I, I promise you, folks, if you when you you look at the pictures. It's staggering. It is just, you, it's hard to imagine without seeing those pictures. So I really, we really hope that um, you are interested enough and, and will pick up a copy of Earth AD. We're really proud of this book and we're so grateful that Michael brought it to us. Now, Michael, why us? Why did why'd you come to Feral House? Well, as you know, I've been a, I've been a friend to Feral for a long time. I used to I well, I used to read those books when I first. I think I was in my yeah. I, the first one I was thinking about this this morning. The first one I read was Lords of Chaos, the one about the black metal um, subculture in Sweden, mm-hmm. about Burzum and all that stuff. And as you know, I've always been a music junkie. It's like my 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 hobby. It's the section of my life that isn't work. So I remember reading that one, and then I read the one about the germs, Lexicon Devil. And I realized at some point that all the books I was really into were, were feral books and then later process. And so then when I started shifting from like art and documentary stuff more into writing stuff, I, I moved towards uh, book reviews because it, it seemed like, a, like something I wanted to try. And naturally, I reached out to Adam and I was like, I, I want to review these. And I interviewed him for um, – for some websites and he was just someone I always sort of admired. I thought he had a lot of nerve and a lot of guts. And, um, when the, when the time came up to do something like this, it was just perfect because process media sort of spins off. It runs alongside of the more far out stuff that Farrell puts out and, um, more, 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 uh, socially conscious stuff, uh, stuff that's practical, um, knowledge out in the world. It, it, it is. And, you know, I, I think one of the things I'll, I'll take a moment to, to say is 
process was started by Adam, um, and it's something that Adam was very interested. One of the, the critiques we've we've heard, Jessica and I have heard since um, Adam's passing in May of 2018, is that. Um, we've somehow gone soft. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Uh, a lot of the things that folks have commented on are actually projects or um, ideas that Adam had too. So I'll take that moment to just kind of push back a little bit to, to remind everyone, as we talk about the nuance of a story of legacy pollution um, that Michael's done a great job bringing to folks, um, so to Feral House and Process, we are here to challenge you. We are here to bring stories that you're not going to read everywhere else. And that doesn't mean that we subscribe to a very specific ideology. What it means is that we are very interested in new ideas old ideas and ideas that will challenge you a bit. But I will um, concretely, adamantly say that we are um, aware and believe in that the climate change. And Michael, you and I were talking a little earlier, just uh, before we started recording, about some of the theories of the planet and all of the climate changes. Uh, now, what is that theory called? Oh, the Gaia theory, the, the book by James Lovelock. I'm just sort of discovering this stuff, but um, a friend of mine gave me this book about uh, by by Lovelock, and he I think he was a chemist or a biologist. He was sort of like an independent. I mean, he was he just turned a hundred and he put this book out um, last year or something at a hundred years old, and it was the Gaia theory. I just real quick, I wanted to just. Um, I want to put a pin in that for a moment to say I did – I remember I did talk to Adam about the changing taste of a um, feral house just to just to testify to what you said because I was thinking about when, – when you were saying this, I was thinking, you know what? The thing was that he was changing – he was broadening himself as a person at that time. Like the early books I think were – had a, like a lot of shock value in them and which which – I think wasn't necessarily meant to shock as much as to express really different voices. But I think in the end, he was starting to really broaden his own perspective. And that's just, I just wanted to add to what you were saying there. Oh yeah, absolutely. You do, yeah, he was actually. And so it wasn't just about scaring people or, it, or what have you. No, and it was I think about we, educating people. Yeah. We could have a larger conversation and maybe everybody should at some time about the nature of transgressive art. That's one of my, my pets uh, projects. And we could talk about, you know, everybody could talk about that. And the nature of transgressive art can change as it does it evolves both the culture and the people who make it. So what was outrageous in 1995 is not outrageous today, whereas things that um, were outrageous in 1995 are even beyond transgressive and are fully taboo. So that's a larger cultural conversation that, yep. that the everybody Overton should have. Window. Yes, absolutely. That's yeah, exactly the, what it the, is. The Overton window just shifts and gets larger and you can Yes, but that is another conversation for another time because that's a that's a fun tangent for me because as someone who has been really interested in transgressive art my whole life, um, yeah, we we can. That's another thing entirely. Michael and I will do another episode sometime talking about transgressive art. Um, but for today, 
uh, we're very excited about Michael's uh, book, Earth AD. What is going to be happening is Michael will be ideally talking to people directly um, at bookstores, especially in the New York area. Um, I'm pretty sure you're going to be going to Oklahoma City and to Tar Creek to participate in their conference in 2020. That's fall of 2020. Yeah, that's the only thing that's the only thing I have lined up so far uh, since we're just getting started on this now that the book is like done. And uh, now the next thing is figuring out uh, where we're going to go and talk to the people. I want to talk to as much people as I can. I think this time that we're going through right now, it's it's just this, this sort of egregious rollbacks of environmental laws. Um, we need to we need to be very consistent as as citizens. It's our duty to tell to speak truth to the power, especially on this one case, because we can't take any more of this. Uh, of of environmental damage we don't have much of a planet left like we don't have any snow in new york now and this is really alarming like here we are in march and we haven't had a single snow maybe a little bit but anyway i'm just uh, yes i'm going to talk to anyone who will listen (laughs) but i'm going to oliver's school next week to go talk to the kids yeah, and I think it's great. And we want to get the message out too. Um, if you're listening to this um, conversation, please, please reach out to uh, us at Feral House Process. Um, we will connect you with how to get the book. We will connect you with how to have Michael come to your bookstore, your um, cocktail party, your metal show, and talk about the, the environment and the legacy of these, um, you know, forgotten, poisoned sites in the United States. So, um, again, I want to thank, thank you, Michael, for making time to talk, have this conversation. Um, and we look forward to everyone reading Earth AD. Thank you so much. It's been uh, an honor and a privilege. All right. Thank you. Hey fiends, thanks for listening to the Feral House podcast. We do this about once a month, talking to Feral House and Process Media writers, as well as members of the extended Feral family. You're part of the family. Let us know if you have any questions or if you have an idea of someone we should talk to. You can send me a note at press at feralhouse.com, P-R-E-S-S at feralhouse.com. 